Well, we've had situations in Iowa where like there's somebody like a grandma who's like 85 or 90 and she's never had asthma her whole life. And then like a two or 3000 head CAFO, which is a concentrated animal feeding operation, just a pig farm, will move in and then she'll get asthma at like age 90. And it's like, obviously she didn't just get asthma. And then there's of course the hydrogen sulfide issue, which hydrogen sulfide is emitted from the manure lagoons underneath these. And that has effects associated with like seven times the risk of neurological um, symptoms like tremors and stuff. So that's one aspect, but then mainly it's like a respiratory issue as well. And, and there's the endotoxins, which are from the bacteria in the manure and the ammonia. And actually a lot of these go over the state limit of the air in mm-hmm. concentration of hydrogen sulfide. So we have DNR, which is, you know, the... Uh, natural resources, official government organization measuring about half of what they measured around these CAFOs was over the limit and they just don't, they just don't do anything about it. Hi everyone. You were just listening to Mike the Vegan, who is an amazing YouTuber and influencer, but he's also a vegan science writer that covers a variety of topics from the health effects of a vegan diet and the environmental impact of eating animal products to the sociologic phenomenon of casual animal exploitation. He's based in the U.S. and he regularly tackles debunking myths that perpetuate harmful dietary and lifestyle behaviors. He's actually very funny, and that's actually what drew me to his channel, was his humor and his talent for creating very, not only entertaining videos, but also very informative. So he's just got a, an amazing art of debunking myths with humor and science. He's also getting his um, public health um, at a master's level, so this is very exciting to see yet another young person influence the myths that occur about a plant-based diet. And I hope you will listen and subscribe to his channel. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Marvis, and today I'm so honored to have Mike the Vegan, YouTuber, influencer, just incredibly intelligent human with a great spokesmanship about him. So welcome to um, our show and thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here in my house and with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And in my, my small apartment here. Um, So if you could tell us, you know, just a little bit, you know, I will do uh, intros that people will hear, I'm sure before we get to this conversation, but you have a really growing YouTube channel and it's really good. Like I, I was referred to you by happy, healthy, vegan, Ryan, friends. and they are incredible. And I was watching your videos. They're phenomenal. And so I would like to know just kind of before we get to the YouTube channel and itself, what led you to become a vegan or have you always been a vegan? Like how did all this start? Well, I grew up eating meat. So like standard, well, not quite standard omnivore, pretty close to it. My parents didn't eat red meat, which was sort of unique. But other than that, I was still eating chicken fish, uh, dairy, eggs, all that stuff. And then somebody sort of just handed me the China study and I read it. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, all of this epidemiology in China was what made me go vegan. No, it was all the other stuff because everyone's always has all nitpicks of the China study itself the actual study, but all just all the things in there, things about heart disease and cancer and things like that just got me to just immediately go vegan that, that day. Mm-hmm. Like I read it on a road trip and just the next restaurant I went to was just vegan. And so I, that was the point where I was like doing it. It was, I was afraid of the, Oh, I got to eat animal protein aspect. So I had fish like a couple times, but that was like eight years ago. So it took me maybe like four or five months to transition fully I was like a vegan plus the occasional fear-based fish or like fish due to fear. It was like animal protein needed and fish, like they tell me it's the healthiest. And so, so that's how I, that's how it kind of happened. And then, you know, found more and more information as well. So that's been eight years. Yeah. It's been about eight years. Very cool. So then now you kind of entered this journey into the YouTube. Tell me how that started and how you decided to take the approach to sharing this information and really calling out people who don't necessarily use evidence-based um, discussions on you, which we'll get to in a minute, but can you tell me what led you down that path? Because it's, it's fascinating. 
Well, when I started the channel, I was never planning on like calling people out. I guess I didn't think I wasn't going to do it, but I originally started it just because I was doing a ton of research to just defend my own diet. Cause I was like, once I learn out, once I learned why we don't need animal protein, I'd be like, Oh, I need to be able to explain this really well to people. And in order to be persuasive and not seem like I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt, I need to actually have good sources. And so I went and just did a bunch of research, like I said, to defend myself. And then eventually a few people were like, you should just like say what you just said on YouTube. And so I was kind of in the back of my mind of starting a YouTube channel. And then finally I was pushed over the edge by this girl who was like, I'm not going to go vegan because, because one, you know, one person can't make a difference. And I was like, I'm going to make a difference. And so that pushed me over the edge and I just decided to start the channel. And wow. And that was how long ago? Oh gosh. It's been like three years now. Yeah. That's, but you've grown. So you have almost what, 250,000. Yeah. I have over 250,000 subscribers, which is good. That's really cool. Yeah, so great. what I really appreciate is that you also link your resources, um, mm -hmm. very similar to a Gregor type sort of. Um, Although he doesn't actually always link all of his studies in the description, which. Oh, did you? I haven't checked every yeah. video, but. Yeah, really? I should look. I should look in a bit. Huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just remember, because I, I always have to type in his his titles, which is okay. Like, it's one more, yeah. one more thing to work. But I just remember, like, the first video I ever made, people were like, you got to link your descriptions. Like, it's totally unacceptable to not link your descriptions. It's like, and, and I just thought, okay, of course I have to. And so since then, I've done every single video. And wow. I'm one of the only people on YouTube that does it. So, yeah, no, I think that's really good because then this is a great resource to send people mm -hmm. to and say, okay, you know, I have physicians, for example, one, just someone tagged me on a comment. Someone said they were discussing olive oil and someone mm -hmm. mentioned hashtag olive oil is good for you. They stopped a study <laughs> on purpose because it was unethical. And I'm like, my comment was, well, we're linked to the study and yeah. I'd be happy to and talk to you know, about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> people and it's not even what they were talking about exactly so i like to quote directly from the study when possible have it on the screen so people can in case the link is broken they can google it and and then also have the link so that's my goal and so how are you i, mean, I guess because you're you're also studying for your mph right mm -hmm. okay and do you get access to these studies through your university uh, I actually do, but um, a lot of times they're open studies that I look at, not all of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it's, I mean, if you listen to Dr. Greger, he says, go on Sci-Hub. And I'm sure you have a lot of people. I have like, been to Sci-Hub. Yeah, Sci-Hub. So Sci-Hub can be a little bit sketchy. Um, I mean, there's an argument to be made for and against it. Uh, the mm -hmm. argument for it would just be that journals are just absolutely taking advantage of their position or they're taking advantage of their name and making it completely inaccessible and the money's not going to the researchers because the argument against it is you're stealing money from the researchers or the researchers aren't getting paid now mm -hmm. and so that i i need to look into it more to really to really decide what what the best you know whether it is an issue for the researchers but from what i've heard it does it's not a researcher problem it's a big name journal issue where they're losing the money so that's it's actually a commercial publisher issue commercial publisher so, yeah yes coming from the point of just publishing <laughs> or just yeah. launching a journal mm -hmm. i did the last nine months was research on all this so mm -hmm. i can tell you about it um it's a 10 billion dollar industry um, majority of that is made by the commercial publishers. And it doesn't go back into new research. No. no. So there you go. That's the argument. And these are for-profit um, entities. And um, when we approach them with our journal, which is focused on plant-based nutrition and research and things like that, um, they were, we were flat out told no. However, Wiley did quarters for a few months, but then they mm. kind of dropped us suddenly. But anyway, um, the, the, my thought on this is... Um, one, I'm a tax-paying individual, and I would mm. hope that my tax dollars, because these are going, I'm sure, to the NIH, that's where they yep. get their money, yep. is going to fund a lot of this research. I should have access to it. Yep. Um, and the researchers are doing, you know, they have to apply for funding. They're getting their funding from government grants, typically, or private, you know, to again, if you're, for example, the Bill Gates, um, Bill, uh, Melinda Gates Foundation, they require that people actually um, publish in an open access journal. Wow, that's they makes want, sense. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Um, but yeah, the publishers don't, the publishers make the money, not not the societies. The societies function typically off membership subscription, mm -hmm. which then also, you know, allows those members to have access to the journal. Otherwise, there's no money filtering back. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I would say it's kind of analogous to you pay taxes for a road 
and then a private company come, goes along and puts a toll on that road. Exactly. That's, that's kind of what's going on. Yep, that's exactly right. So mm -hmm. there you go. And so Sci-Hub is sort of just a free little entry that somebody built onto the road or something. Yeah, so that's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a, you, someone hijacked a, a road and built a dirt path to get to it. Exactly. So. Yep, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bypassing so all the cameras. Yeah, it's hard to say what, I, I mean, it's hard to make a case against Sci-Hub being ethical. Um, and so. Right. That's true. There are situations where it does hurt people, but the vast majority, it doesn't. I mean, people need to learn as well. So, yeah. yeah and, and the other thought on that as well that um, I know Dr. Williams, who I work with, Dr. Kim Williams brought up being open access is these other countries that don't have the wealth and the resources that we do. Yep. And they, you know, these are burgeoning possible research organizations and, you know, physicians or scientists, and they don't have access to that information. So again, um, it's about the more knowledge it's available, open, the better. So for sure. For yeah. sure. So tell me what is some of your favorite topics to talk about on here? Cause you have such a wide variety of videos. That's a hard one. I end mm -hmm. up just making whatever people ask me to make at this point. I'm like 98 or 90% uh, um, recommended video or requested video. And so it seems to be a lot of times I end up talking about like low carb diets, whether that's keto or um, all meat diet or whatever Atkins or all that stuff. So that's something I end up talking about a lot. I also just like talking about sort of the magical power of plants or reverse, just like reversing diseases on a whole food vegan diet. I tend to talk about the circulatory system a lot, I've noticed, and that's just because of how many diseases are connected to it. Like I just did a video on joints and it's kind of all about the circulatory system, which you wouldn't think it would be. And so that's one of my, definitely like one of my passions is like clearing out your circulatory system. Yeah, absolutely. So what, how do you approach someone when they give you a new topic? Like how do you even begin to know like where to go look for research or how do you begin that research process? Sometimes I get a little lucky, like somebody requested a few videos back, like, oh, do the true cost of meat. And I was like, I know exactly who I need. I need David Simon who wrote Meatonomics. And I was able to like, get him for the next videos. I was able to do an interview and release the video next week, which is really lucky. And oh, so cool. sometimes there's just like people that can help. Um, otherwise, it's just, I just go into like a fugue state of researching every possible study on the topic that somebody wants. like. Like on joints, basically joints and atherosclerosis. I would just look at all the studies on joints and atherosclerosis and see it was what was like a meaningful thing or meaningful quote to throw in. And I just like outline my videos that way and mm -hmm. try and, you know, I try and get like 10 studies at least in every video like that. Mm -hmm. Not every video period, but every video that like has a case that needs to be made for sure. So then how do you decide to how to structure your video? Like, because they're actually really entertaining too, right? Because you have commentary thrown <laughs> in along. I mean, it's really, it's, you're like a producer, like an, I don't know, like a, an editor or whatever they yeah, want. I mean, every, director. I guess like I'm the full team. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I kind of outline the video and then I'll usually like think of a joke as I'm filming it. And I'll be like, all right, I got I just got to throw this wig on and, and say it and do it. And so that's how it works for me, really. It's kind of off the cuff. So there are videos with wigs. <laughs> there are videos with wigs, yeah. Like my, I uh, did the detox one, or there was like five nutrition myths. And one of the myths is like around detoxing in general. And I, I made up a character called Detox Dina. It's a very, <laughs> yeah, pretty ridiculous. So That's awesome. So in your real life, outside of mm -hmm. your YouTube, um, what do you do? I mean, you're studying, are you just a student full-time? What else do you Honestly, do? YouTube is my job at this point. Um, mm -hmm. Also building a tiny house, which takes a lot of time, doing the master's in public health, and then sort of filming a documentary about the pig farming in Iowa, where I live right now, oh, wow. which, because we produce the most pigs out of any state. Really? And, and the last, the second and third state combined. Yeah, and so it's a crazy issue. It's a huge local issue right now. Like they just had a town hall meeting in my town of 300 people showed up or just like a meeting about about the hog confinements. And so it's crazy just in terms of how it's affecting people's quality of life before you can get into the the pig aspect and the ethical mm -hmm. aspect. It's, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of studies showing that it does negatively impact the health of people that live nearby these factory farms. And that is huge, but there's just complete denial, complete denial of it by the uh, county supervisors who have control over the new CAFOs coming in and the farmers themselves and everybody that supports it. It's just, it's crazy. Like you can go, like I went and read a study in a court, uh, in like a kind of open community forum in the courthouse, local courthouse. And I read a study from the Journal of Epidemiology saying that, you know, these pig, pig farms in particular are 
related to acute physical symptoms. And then one of the next guys that gets up is, well, you know, you have your science, but I think it's all relative. Like the science is relative and, and like, it smells good to me and essential oils smell bad to me. So I'm going to go around and tell you not to use essential oils. Literally that was the argument again, why they should be able to pig farm. Blows my mind. They just don't, it doesn't wow. matter. Yeah. So they just, it's just like brush it under the carpet and okay, young man, off you go. Yeah. Well, it was me and 200 other people probably. Oh, wow. Other people saying what I'm saying. Wow. And so tell me a little bit about your, where you are in your community and what type of things are people saying that they're, how their health is actually being affected? Well, we've had situations in Iowa where like there's somebody like a grandma who's like 85 or 90 and she's never had asthma her whole life. And then like a two or 3000 head CAFO, which is a concentrated animal feeding operation, just a pig farm. We'll move in and then she'll get asthma at like age 90. And it's like, obviously she didn't just get asthma. And then there's of course the hydrogen sulfide issue, which hydrogen sulfide is emitted from the manure lagoons underneath these. And that has effects associated with like seven times the risk of neurological um, symptoms like tremors and stuff. So that's one aspect, but then mainly it's like a respiratory issue as well. And, and there's the endotoxins, which are from the bacteria in the manure and the ammonia. And actually a lot of these go over the state limit of the air in concentration of hydrogen sulfide. So we have DNR, which is, you know, the uh, natural resources, official government organization measuring about half of what they measured around these CAFOs was over to the limit. And they just don't, they just don't do anything about it. Interesting. What it's funny is that DNR and medicine, medicine means do not resuscitate. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they feel about our community right now. So as far as the, um, Action. So you start. You said you're starting a documentary. Are you doing it all by yourself? Do you have other yeah, people it's helping? Yeah, mini doc. It's pretty. It's pretty chill. Like I'm kind of going around getting drone footage and talking to people. Basically, I want to mm-hmm. keep it like 20 ish minutes, um, and not that intense because I already have. I keep. I make a video once a week, no matter what, and mm-hmm. so I don't have that much time to make a crazy documentary. Um, so I'm. I'm kind of just. Just trying to get people people's view on it local people's view on it um i'm gonna hit some of the environmental stuff i'm gonna hit some of the ethical stuff and yeah so it's gonna be like one third people one third ethical and one third environmental basically so springing up the environmental aspects so what have you found in locally that's environmental impact or others like i know in north carolina from like what to health and oh yeah you know, you're seeing them spray they spray here too yeah Really? So yep. can you explain why they're doing that and what sort of those who aren't familiar? Oh, well, they have thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of manure in these manure pits and they need something to do with it. Technically, on paper, it's a fertilizer. You know, it's got a lot of nitrogen in it, but it's also super toxic. I know, at least in chicken manure, there's decently high concentrations of lead. And of course, you've got the antibiotics in this. And so they just spray it everywhere and it can create respiratory issues. And I believe that what the health aspect was looking at cancer. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but just any, just spraying toxic toxins into the air. They, they kind of just spray it and it kind of becomes sort of aerosolized, if that's even a word, but it become gets in the air and it's already in the air coming out of these fans. Like it's so bad. The air in these, these farms are so bad that they don't have giant fans going. So every so often the pigs just die like, cause it's so toxic. And so it's, it's bad stuff. I mean, there's a lot of negative aspects. It's also, a ton of the waterways in my state, and I'm sure all around the U.S., are, are considered impaired. They have really high levels of nitrogen, which creates uh, blooms of algae, which emit a, a neurotoxin called BMAA, which is linked to ALS. I have that in my ALS video, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. It's, it's also what Stephen Hawking had. And so that's sketchy. We don't want that at all. Mm-hmm. And just in general, like the coli is rampant. There's a huge risk of um, antimicrobial resistant infection, antibiotic resistant infection, whatever you want to call it. For example, MRSA is something that we have in Iowa in these farms and uh, it's super, it's a staph infection, which is really dangerous. It kills about 10,000 people a year, according to the CDC. And that is just, there's no better place to accelerate the evolution of that than within a hog confinement where there's, you know, an animal that's pretty similar to humans and they're just tightly packed and there's no hygiene and it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah, antibiotic resistance is a big concern. Mm-hmm. And um, I know even MRSA now, you know, used to be in the hospitals, and now it's in the community where people can spread it. Um, and we had a, uh, I used to live in Colorado. I live in Washington State now. We had a young kid who was um, 
17. So my kids are all grown now. Um, but when uh, this was in 2000 and uh, 13, 14 in there. We had a young kid come in with flu. Um, he ended up dying within 24 hours because he had a MRSA and, uh, pneumonia. And um, healthy kid, otherwise dead within 24 hours. And How just, long was he infected before that, you think? Uh, with the MRSA, I'm sure he was a carrier. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, because he was a wrestler and basketball player. So, you know, all my kids are athletes. So, you know, they're just gross, especially boys. But <laughs> How long did it, so it took 24 hours for him to die from the yeah. point How long do you think he had it before that? The... That well, he he became ill, literally, and with the time he got ill, within twenty four hours. Oh was gone. my gosh! Wow, I thought it was twenty four yeah. hours. The time he was like presenting the hospital. No, no, he he just did, wasn't feeling well, and it was such a rapid onset because it's such an aggressive infection. And um, this is a healthy person, um, scared to death. I mean, I just you see these things um, in person, and you're just like, oh my goodness. And uh, but yeah, it's concerning. Another one is. Um, C. diff, right, associated with taking antibiotics. So imagine if you're consuming these low doses of antibiotics that they use to grow the animals or whatever. Um, C. diff now it kills 30,000 Americans every year, yeah. half a million hospitalizations. I've had four cases in just my own practice this year of patients. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so frightening. I, there was one case, um, it was a parent of a child. Uh, um, the child had it and then the parent got it, um, was not even taking antibiotics. Scary, and the third of those cases are uh, resistant to treatment. Wow. So, anyway, and yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's I'm sure that could only be made worse by the animal farming. I'd have to yeah. look into that because MRSA was something we had locally more. But yeah, maybe maybe I just yeah I got to look into it. Yeah, C diff would be a great. Oh, so I'm gonna start. I know who to go to go. now. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna start commenting. And say hey, <laughs> make a video about this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I will do it. Yeah, I, I maybe maybe that's what my next video. Like, I it's actually kind of crazy because a lot of times it's Wednesday night and I make a video on Thursday and I release it on Thursday and I don't know what I'm making a video on the next day and so Thursday is just panic mode for me. Like, and so I don't know what I'm making a video on about on Thursday day after tomorrow and so maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do it. Like, oh, so you really do all your research and the video all in one day? I that's the worst case scenario. I try to do it all throughout the week and then. Like a lot of ones I don't like the last video was all Thursday. Wow. Well, that was, is a very good video. So I'm curious, what is your goal now with the NPH? Like, what are you wanting to accomplish by getting that? Um, one was I wanted to be able to do studies, which it would be really fun. And I'd love to brainstorm with you, uh, yeah. right, right after this about cool studies to do. But, uh, I just felt like, I mean, you can, you could probably do a study as anybody, but when you have an MPH, it's a little bit more credible. And yeah. so having that, and then it's what I'm doing on YouTube all the time is talking about health. And my background is in like a bachelor's of science in sustainability, environmental type oh, sustainability. Cool. And so I've spent like thousands of hours looking at journals and reading about public health kind of accidentally just out of interest. And so now it's time, it's like, now it's time to just, get, just go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Better to have that under my belt for sure, especially talking about this stuff, like I'm not trying to be a nutritionist. I do talk about nutrition, but mm -hmm. I end up talking about what sort of like the best, the kind of best conclusion is to draw about a public health issue. And so I end up talking about public health, like I said, by accident. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, 80, what, 80% 80 of our chronic disease would improve dramatically. Should mm -hmm. we switch over? I mean, it was the China study, actually the China study that got me well it was actually a patient and then i googled china mm. was the first book i read literally in two days because i was so like what turning mm. off cancer what? <laughs> yeah i know i know it's crazy. That's, that was rats too have i been killing my patients oh my gosh yeah <laughs> my own family so speaking of personally are, are do you have um are you married any children anything like that nope yeah you can say you're, you got lots of time, and, but you're building a tiny house. So it sounds like some minimalism. Well, I have a girl, yeah, I have me and my girlfriend are building the tiny house. Oh, that's so, so cool. We're, yeah, it's pretty chill. It's somewhat minimalist. I mean, we haven't gotten to the minimalist part yet. I mean, once we get into the tiny house, then it'll be minimalist. Um, <laughs> only so much can fit in there. So that's going to be interesting. So what made you decide to move towards minimalism or build a house even? That's a big step. Um... My girlfriend was just like, I want a tiny house. And I was like, oh, do we really want to do this? And then and then we just, we actually, instead of spending like $6,000 on a trailer, we just grabbed an old RV and I tore down the trailer because it was like a few hundred dollars. 
instead of five thousand dollars we didn't know if we really wanted to do it and then we got going in it and we you know welded the trailer out to eight and a half feet which is the maximum because it's on wheels the maximum road width without an oversized load situation and we just started going in it and i just like kept building it and now it's almost like we're insulating it on thursday it's being spray foamed and so it's going to wow. be done ish pretty soon totally that done is, on the outside sorry that is really cool so as far as what is your goals with that? are you going to travel the country are you going to no idea we, we have no idea like we might take it down to like austin just to like experience that and maybe to the west coast it depends on how easy it is to pull because we built it really light, but really tall and as wide as possible. And so if it's a major wind hazard for tipping over, like it's just not going to be worth it to just move a lot. I see. That's yeah. Cool. So how many square feet are you going to end up having? It's eight feet by 24 feet with an extra two inch overhang. So it's kind of like 200 square feet. Um, but then it has two lofts that are like another 60 square feet each. Wow. So it's like 300 ish. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we um so we had up to seven people in our house at one at one point. So I have three kids mm -hmm. and then my mm -hmm. husband and my in-laws lived with us. We went mm -hmm. from three thousand square foot after we're we're now empty nesters down to less mm -hmm. than a thousand square foot house, like oh, apartment. And mm -hmm. got rid of so many things. I don't even have mm -hmm. a television anymore. And now we want to do one more. <laughs> oh wow. Because I was gonna say that's actually probably more square foot per person than you had in your three thousand square foot. You had over three um, people. Yeah. Well that's yeah. about equal. It's about equal. Yeah, probably. But then when the kids come home for summers or breaks, mm. um, it get, it's, you know, it's cozy though, but it's fine because we're out doing stuff anyway. Um, but yeah, we're, we're doing one more. But the thing was all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Been married for 25 yeah, years. There's a lot it. of stuff. Oh, wow. That could be hard. <laughs> it yeah. was interesting. So as far, I really am curious though, what do you eat in a day? What do I eat in a day? Oh, I always... I always wake up and I end up having my oatmeal. Like it's it's so boring for people. So that's like why I don't do like what I eat in a day more. But I wake up, I have my oatmeal, which is steel cut oats that are already, they already put in the Instant Pot the night before, so they're done when I wake up. And then I throw some frozen blueberries in, some cinnamon, whatever fruit I have on hand, usually like apples or bananas. And if I remember to, I put ground flax in, but I guess I don't always remember to do that, which is probably a vicious cycle. Like you don't remember to do it and then your brain gets worse <laughs> and then you don't, no, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, and then sometimes I'll do like Ezekiel sort of like cereal too, which is sort of like a whole wheat cereal, which is extra crunchy. And then for lunch, it's like so many possibilities. It's impossible like to figure out exactly what, I mean, usually I do like one, one go-to that probably eat too much is like kitchery. So brown rice, rice, kitchery. Kitchery is like half rice, half lentils, all oh. in a pot. Okay. Or sort of like a stew. And so red lentils, brown rice, with just a bunch of veggies in there is how it goes. So you got your grain, you got your legume, you got your veggies, just throw it all in. It's super simple. In the Instant Pot, it's like 22 minutes on high pressure, which after pressurizes is like half an hour. You don't have to watch it. And so that's like my, I'm trying to get stuff done. That's what I make. And I, you know, I always make like a lot of burrito-y things, um, trying to get more into like soaking and cooking like pinto beans because they just taste better that way than from a can. Mm. And so I just make a lot of meal. Usually I just make a meal that has starch and a legume, which is pretty starchy still too, but starch, legume, and veggies. And so, you know, maybe potatoes and black beans and a bunch of veggies and stuff like that. Making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Do you do a lot of like different ethnic foods and stuff? Cause my husband's Filipino. So we, we love all sorts of ethnic foods. Actually me and my friends get together like almost every Sunday and we have a vegan potluck and we try different cuisine every time. Mm. And we did Indian food. It was super good. I made whole wheat oil-free samosas and that was really good. And we just did Brazilian night uh, a couple days ago. And that sort of, that was pretty good. Sort of failed on some things. Um, it's still pretty good because it's like Brazilian food. Is I mean, it's it's a carnivore diet. Yeah, and and it's just like not all the ingredients are available, like mm. stuff like that. But we did pretty good. Like I made their their beans, and we had like a dish that was sort of like tomato and mango and stuff, and it was it was good. And then we've done we've done like almost every cuisine. We did like a banh mi sandwich, one which is super good, which is like that like. Uh, Korean sandwich. Oh my gosh, am I wrong about that? I think it's Korean. I don't know. What'd you put in it? Um, 
to like really nice marinated tofu and kind of like a cashew pate a sort of savory and uh, a bunch of veggies and like jalapenos and uh, pickled vegetables. Super good. Wow. That banh mi sandwich is like, I guess like the French include. So it's like in a baguette, but it's like all, it's like a bunch of Asian food in a baguette. <laughs> kind of sandwich. And yeah, so yeah, it's interesting how that works. A little fusion going yeah. on there. Exactly. So you do like to cook? Like you, you're going to come up with a cookbook? Maybe you should come Actually, up with a cookbook. I already have, I already have what? it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it on your link? Do you have it's linked under every video? I probably have too many links to see it. It's on my website. Um, really? And I don't mention it that much because I'm not trying to shove it down people's throat. Yeah. But, uh, it's been great. It sold way more than I thought it ever would. So I, like, I don't feel a need to push it. <laughs> yeah. So, as far as do you have merch as well? I have occasionally I do t shirts. Like I have my Kale Joy t shirt. I have a t shirt that's just like an outline of me and my beard because I get, I have like different color beard as my from my hair so I get a lot of it's a joke it's become a joke and a lot of people get like angry about it and and sort of like try and make trolley comments or just get frustrated why <laughs> yeah you wouldn't think that people get mad about it but just people get mad about things that aren't like continuous you know or like they aren't what they think they're supposed to be so like why that, you your hair why you that's actually it? a really interesting topic to talk about right because <laughs> when I started my podcast and the YouTube channel it was matter of just um, sharing information kind of like you. Mm-hmm. And then you're, I'm really surprised at some comments. Like someone said, told me, <laughs> you know, this gentleman is like, he's like, I love this video. This is great, but you really should wear your hair down. You look like a boy. <laughs> what? That's standard. Like, That's so standard. Wow. And you know, and some of them are like, I thought this was a science channel and you know, someone's expressing their faith in God. God forbid they <laughs> express something that you don't necessarily believe. Yeah. Anything you don't believe in. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing in the vegan movement that I, I feel like I might need to do a video at some point mm-hmm. is like, just because there's a point that you don't agree with somebody on doesn't mean you should just completely write them off as a person and cut them off as a person because there's no way we're all going to have all the exact same beliefs. And so you're setting yourself up to just cut yourself off from everybody. Like, for example, I don't like, I advocate like a healthier vegan diet, but I still totally support all the people who are junk foodie vegan and talking about junk food and showing people how to eat junk food. And uh, like, I'm not like, screw you. I hate you. And I'm never talking to you again. And I have gotten that a little bit from the other side of like junkie people to be like, mm-hmm. you're the worst. You're like a horrible chia seed vegan, <laughs> making veganism impossible and expensive. Wait a minute. They... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I haven't heard that one. A chia it's seed. It's not vegan? a real thing. I mean, oh. what it was is I made a video <laughs> of like how some ways I examples of how to prevent a deficiency on a vegan diet or just like talking about sources that you can guess them. I was talking about omega threes and I'm like, here's chia seeds. Right. Get this much chia seeds or whatever is how much you need. And then she, who I say, she who shall not be named, who's unnatural vegan, made a video responding to me talking about how ridiculous it was that I, that I was saying you have to eat chia seeds to get omega-3s. When obviously you can eat things like flax, which are really cheap, she's saying chia seeds expensive, it's hard and hard to get and blah, 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 which it really isn't, especially compared to the mock meats that she talked about eating. But we don't need to talk about her. The point is from that, she turned like all of her followers against me and started calling me a GSC vegan or her followers did anyway. So that's just how it works. Yeah. So that's, uh, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't ready for the, um, the, the no. comments. Oh, I yeah. was like, wow, I'm just hearing stories. Yeah. Yeah. You're was... just listening to like the inside of somebody's head. Basically, <laughs> that this shouldn't be shared. And, uh, yeah. Anonymity is a dangerous thing. You know, that is really fascinating. So I've learned, you know, I've already had, I was in the military, but I mean, I, I got a thick skin. It's comical. I actually, I like to take little screenshots and share yeah. them <laughs> and say, look what this guy just that's called me a boy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. I mean, I've had, and then like, if I get people making like hate videos about you so, or like videos getting really angry at you, like the all made dieter, Dr. Sean Baker made it. I saw that video. You saw it? Yeah. He's yes. Vegan and you're a FASO, feminized androgynous sack of fill in the blank. And mm-hmm. So funny. Hello. It's really funny. Well, there's a reason. He probably lost his medical license. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard a rumor that he was getting it back, but I don't know if that's true or not. Um, 
Well, you can go to different states, but you have to report mm -hmm. why. So I have 13 medical licenses across oh, the wow. United States because I do telemedicine. Um, and uh, used to do just regular family medicine and stuff, but mm -hmm. I found I, I can really do what we call lifestyle medicine um, yeah. as a, a great way to help people move to a plant-based diet. Like I just did an interview with one of my patients mm -hmm. um, from cool. telemed. She reversed her diet, her, her um, high blood pressure in 27 days after 20 Oh, years. that's awesome. Yeah, wow. It's really cool. That Those are ridiculous. just so amazing. That's less story. than a month. Yeah, 27 days. She was like, it was the cutest thing. And she's got so much energy. She's like off the cuff. Like, oh, just so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably great for awesome. video. I mean, I love seeing that. I love witnessing that. I love like when I get messages of like I reverse my diabetes oh, or whatever. It's like, awesome. oh, great. Now that keeps me going. <laughs> that is really interesting. So have you had anyone reach out to you that was maybe um, medically oriented or nutritionist dietitian say, hey, can you do this type of thing for me, like videos or stuff? Because I would think that you have so much knowledge in the way that you, you give infotainment, right? It's like information mm -hmm. and entertaining. I think that'd be a really valuable skill to share. Yeah, I mean, I make, I make video. I'm trying to think. I haven't made videos for like doctor people in particular, but... Uh... Hmm. Yeah, I haven't really done it. I mean, I've just just made videos for like plant-based news and occasionally collaborations with other people. That's there might be something to talk about with the journal when we're done here. Yeah, that for sure. I might want to yeah. employ yeah. your services. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as far as when you are, are thinking about calling people out, because talking kind of this aggressive, not an aggressive tone, not at all. I think you're calling, you're speaking truth, right? Yeah. People don't okay. like truth, right? Yeah, so but people are going to take it as aggressive or whatever. How do you, how do you decide how to tone it or do, cause oh, it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard. That's the hardest part. Cause like, like for example, my most recent one was the video about Dr. Mike who's making the red meat video. Mm. Basically how great red meat was sponsored by the pork board. He tries to claims to be objective by like just admitting that it's a carcinogen, but then he kind of brushes it off as to why it's not a big deal. And uh, so it was like, how, you know, how far should I go? And at the end of the video, I even mentioned it, like, I felt like I might've gotten too far with, with like being ridiculous, but, but everyone said like, no, it's fine. And so there's yeah. a lot of just like really angry, way more hateful people out there that make me seem very toned down. But still, mm -hmm. when you're just outright criticizing somebody and what they're saying and what they're doing, it's like inherently a antagonistic thing to do. And so it can definitely come off. And I'm, I'm like having fun with it. Like the reason Sean Baker made it, the all meat guy made a video calling me a prick, the vegan was because, well, first of all, because I called him out on a bunch of different things, you know, how his testosterone was out of like a- And he's diabetic. He's diabetic, has diabetic number two. Exactly. <laughs> and I, but as a joke, because every single time he, he had a horrible number, he would make up some crazy physiological excuse for how his body was like transforming into this perfect all meat machine. And so my joke was that he was transforming into a lizard man. So like I, first of all that, I mean, that's ridiculous. And it was a joke, but it can be construed as like a direct attack on him, photoshopped him as a lizard man. And so, yeah, like I, in a sense, I deserved him making a response video. He still was like shout, shouting profanities at me and stuff, which is like a whole nother level than what I was doing. It's just like having some, in my opinion, lighthearted, like making fun of his ridiculousness. Like, so I was still making fun of him. That might have not been 100% necessary, but it also was just, it just like felt like the natural thing to do, as bad as that sounds. No, actually, what you're saying. I, I say if you're, if he's going to be putting this stuff out there, that's obviously wrong and can harm people. I think the more power to you, you have the guts to do it. I personally, yeah, <laughs> I'm all the loved one. Come on. <laughs> it's also like satire. Like that, that yeah, is a little is bit satire. of satire in that, in what I was talking about. And of course you can say anything is satire. Like mm -hmm. I, I believe Alex Jones, who just got taken off like every platform ever for hate speech and stuff was saying that he was, I think his legal argument was that he's playing a character or something mm -hmm. or that it was like, has a satirical element, which it doesn't. I mean, he's claiming that he's completely serious. In it. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's an interesting take on it because I've never really um, spoken to anyone that you know that you're making those and actually being I like it though, because we need people in the society not to be afraid to use satire, humor, whatever, to call people to the carp and say, hey, mm -hmm. you are a professional, even though you don't have your medical yep. license, you are still um, promoting a diet that has been shown to be harmful to uh, patients or to people in and of yourself and denying 
the labs that you are sharing. You yep. are literally a diabetic yep. by definition. Yeah, it's so, crazy. And the same thing, doc, at the end of my Dr. Mike video, I was like, do you really want to be the doctor that is telling people to eat carcinogens? Like that was my, that was my appeal to him at the end. I would like to think, cause he took down his original video mm. as we were talking about earlier. And I would like to think that he maybe saw my video and was like, this guy's right. But I know it was, it was just like, he probably felt like he got too much flack from his own subscribers for literally getting sponsored by the pork board. And right. so I feel like that's why he took it down. If that's why, or this is my third, third theory, which is probably wrong, which is that even just the fact that he admitted it was a Carson Jin in their sponsored video was that enough for them to have second thoughts and be like, actually, can you take this video down? Because right. I mean, pork, you know, we're talking about pork being a carcinogen. He talks about polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons in that video. Mm -hmm. Of course, he talks about ways to not have them come off your meat, you know, cook at lower temperature. And mm -hmm. he talks about how the carcinogens aren't that bad. So right. it's, I don't know. What I really appreciate is that you took the video and you dissected it, right? So you're not saying, oh, just go watch this or just saying the video, but you actually pull in and it's like, here's the evidence yep. right in front of you. Exactly what he's saying. Yeah, this yep. is him saying that you don't really need to worry about this causing cancer, wow. which is so, and yeah, it's just so, just not good medical practice. It's like, if you're going to give advice, why would you give, I mean, it's like the doctor that, that gives advice to like drink moderate drink in moderation or whatever like mm -hmm. it's better for doctors to say stay away from alcohols and just feel free to drink you know mm -hmm. that's just not the best practice i mean i guess that's still standard for doctors to say drink in moderation i guess so, so. yeah that's and that's the interesting thing coming from my end of it as a physician mm -hmm. i literally changed our diets overnight um and uh but then i was really surprised because i i don't know maybe i was just naive i don't know but I, as i approached my colleagues and saying look at this i have this patient she reversed her diabetes i had one come off insulin in three days i'm like who does that <laughs> yeah. like we can reverse disease how cool yeah. and then just to have them brush off like well i would never do that they're not going to listen to me i'm yeah. like you have the uh, you have the ethical moral duty to share this mm -hmm. information mm -hmm. um so crazy yeah so <laughs> But then they're dealing with their own, mm -hmm. you know, bias. issues and yeah. uh, their biases and their addictions. And that's yep. true. Yeah, right? that's true. Addictions. <laughs> Very true. So do you have a lot of vegans in your area? Because you said you have a vegan potluck? Yeah, I have. I kind of live in a little hippie town. Um, and there's like probably eight or ten restaurants that could eat at around here as a vegan. And I have, there's just a decent, I probably know like ten vegans around personally and there's more there's a lot i mean there's definitely a decent amount wow well. yeah it's, it's it's pretty good or people that are willing to eat vegan food like a lot of people will come they won't be vegan or whatever very cool so i still wanted to get back to that point i wanted to talk about which was an idea ideas for studies that would be awesome i'm curious to know what you would think would be ideas for studies on like the around vegan diets that haven't been done that you feel like need to be done if you have any ideas yeah, I mean, certainly have ideas. Did you want to talk about it now or do you want to talk about it after? We can talk about it now really briefly. Okay, yeah, curious. for sure, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think when you look at the amount of evidence, a lot of it, like you said, is disease-specific. Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, what the study was, that would be super helpful is the there's such a, a lot of myths and misunderstandings about the actual nutrition profile of someone who eats a whole food plant-based diet, mm -hmm. okay? So, because there's always like, oh, you're not getting enough protein, you're not going to get enough you know, this or that. And it's not a perfect diet if you have to supplement with B12. I'm like, it's B12. Most of my B12 deficient patients eat meat and dairy. Yeah, so yeah. that's really not the issue. The issue is we have really poor diets. Um, you know, when I went to Uganda, I did a medical mission trip um, three years ago. These people eat a plant-based diet. I was in rural Africa, no running water. You had to go to a well. We had tubers and they grew these little cool little purple bean things and nice. there was jackfruit growing wild mm -hmm. and they didn't have animal products because there was no refrigeration they oh. might have an egg here and there they didn't have pigs they're not gonna who they don't have enough they're energy money. right it takes money to slaughter a pig and grow it for the one time and then you can't even store i mean you can salt it and all that but that yeah. costs money yeah these people are eating plant-based diet. They, I saw 550 patients in four days. Um, I had two diabetics that were actually pre-diabetic, but they were a little bit more money. They were buying yeah, I was about to say they were oil <laughs> and they were buying um, uh, a lot of the processed foods 
And, but the rest of them were infections or injuries or prenatal care, um, but they didn't have B12 deficiencies. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, and so I think I something- if they, it's hygienic too, like if they get enough dirt in their diet. Yeah, oh, I'm sure because, um, yeah, no, when we ate, we were washing it with, you know, we filtered our water because we brought filters. Mm, okay. But these are the local, they're just eating, they're using the water with the bacteria they're eating. Yep. I'm sure there's dirt still left. Untreated, well, untreated water, I, I always talk about this study where in most of the lakes they looked at, in that study at least, there was in, enough B12 for you, the daily needs of B12 in a liter of water. So yep. they're drinking that untreated water. That's yeah, they're, that's exactly right. Now, granted, they're also getting H. pylori and other things yeah. in the water, yeah, which I did treat. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, stomach gets some stuff. But, yeah, absolutely. And then they actually just conserve water. They use dirt to wash the dishes. Wow. So cool. I'm sure there's soil residue. And yeah. so it's fascinating. It really was because I, was, I went there as plant-based, and mm -hmm. I ate plant-based the whole time. That's so cool. Where in Uganda was it? It was um, about an hour away from Kampala, um, mm -hmm. so it was a little a little village called Namuganda, and um, we have some friends who grew up. <clears throat> he grew up as an orphan on the streets of Kampala in Uganda, and came to the United States after he married uh, met and married an American student there, and um, has gone back with the dream of creating an orphanage. So they were building those buildings nice. and we started the clinic and yeah, it's really cool. What an amazing- to Go on a vegan tour and eat there. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, they do a lot of, there is a lot of smokers, I will say. Okay. But other than that, they, yeah. but it was just like crazy. You're sitting there and there's like these 40 pound jackfruits. I, this is really funny. They don't cook the jackfruit. They look at you like, right. why are you cooking jackfruit? So what I did is I brought some, um, I brought some of my favorite barbecue sauce from mm. the United States and we took it to them. I put it, I mean, I literally only had so much room in my, my bag, right? Mm. Cause we took a thousand pounds of medical supplies. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, so we did, I was like, I'm going to cook them jack uh, fruit, pulled pork. Um, pulled pork yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they were looking at, so it took us all day. We cooked for around 60 people oh, wow. and I'll tell you what they had, they, we used their local breads. We, mm -hmm. Um, I'd use my uh, barbecue sauce and we used their jackfruit right off the tree. And um, they were just like blown away. Yeah, like, I mean, they couldn't, they're just like, it's like, what did you just do? That's really funny. Well, now they, if they ever have unripe jackfruit, I know what to do with it. Wait, oh, and the, what's so funny, once they realized how much I love jackfruit, these little kids, they would run and grab a jackfruit and it was so sticky mm -hmm. um, that I don't really do a lot of the, the fresh because I hate to, yeah, just, you have to wash a your lot of work, dealing with patients. but they would cut it for me and hand me it. And it's like, oh, it's like juicy great. fruit. I know. Oh my awesome. gosh. That's, so, that's what it's inspired by. Juicy fruit is inspired by jackfruit. It was it. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I could see why. In fact, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh my but gosh. You would want to do a study just like showing. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. That was a good tangent. Um, but on the nutritional profile of people who eat a whole food plant-based mm -hmm. diet, right? So with the supplementation that's you know recommended, that much of the B12, because yeah. I really think it's important to say, okay, here's your standard American diet, what they're missing. Mm -hmm. Here's your standard plant-based, you know, someone who's following a, a fairly healthy whole food plant-based diet, maybe a you know regular vegan, vegetarian, and just across the board, here are the nutritional dif deficiencies that are, are consistent. Is it an omega-3 issue? Their mm -hmm. vitamin D. That'd be good. Know, yeah, this is because I don't think that has actually been done to say, okay, let's put an end to these myths about you're not getting enough protein or this or that. And I would think also it would be important to um, clarify the chronic disease profile. So those patients who are in the study saying this number has diabetes, this has you know obesity, their BMI, which has been done, but to correlate it all together and mm -hmm. saying you're going to get an optimal diet, less disease you know risk less, you know, burden of, you know, illness and all the things that come with it. You're missing work and you're all these different things. Depression, that would be a good one. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I was going to say. The study that I have, sorry to interrupt, the study no, that no. I have on my back, the back of my mind is just doing a really intensive trial where you just take, if you can even do it, if you could get a hundred people to do mm -hmm. the whole food vegan diet and a hundred people controlled diet, measure their serotonin levels, their dopamine levels before 
and then after the intervention versus the control and that would just be so interesting to me just to I think hormones would be interesting, but also we do like subjective measurements. So mm -hmm. like the GAD7, the PHQ9. Yeah. Are you familiar with those? Those are like surveys of mental well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So we use those just as a, a guide to see how our medical intervention are doing or medicines. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is I've had many patients come off antidepressants um, using a plant-based diet. And what was weird is I had one that had such a quick response, she actually has started having the side effects of the yeah. medication. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was really interesting. I, yeah. So we had that, we're like, well, we need to stop that. Yeah. <laughs> so then yeah. you have this balance of weaning someone off and they're feeling side effects. It's such a, it's such an interesting thing. Well, it's um, a good yeah. problem to have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I would, in, terms of, in terms of deficiencies, there was that more recent study out of Switzerland. It wasn't that many vegans, but that they did not have an increased amount of B12 deficiencies compared to the control compared to the omnivores, which was okay. the first time we've really seen that, which is crazy. It goes to show that just like people are getting it down mm -hmm. fortification and mm -hmm. like Yeah, absolutely. But I think honestly if we can put it into because honestly what was interesting when I first switched to a plant based diet, um, I had one these are doctors who went to good medical schools and doctors that I would assume that would take good care of me and my family. Um, <laughs> should I need them? <laughs> but um, one was like well, don't you know you need to eat cholesterol? I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, why would I need to eat uh, cholesterol? My adrenal, you know, my liver, adrenals, we take care of those yeah, things. 75% of your cholesterol and your system is made from your body. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So I I will be fine. And then someone else will look, well, how much um, cholesterol is in that avocado that you're eating? Uh, <laughs> none? Because it's not an animal. Oh, man. yeah. And like, I'm like, <laughs> okay. I think I knew that but even before I went plant-based. That's the yeah. concerning well that tells me wow what kind of what kind of what nutritional education did we get three hours on average that's what kind of they get 23 hours of nutrition <sighs> training on average from all exactly and then so then you just compound it with the myths that mm -hmm. they're subject to just like everybody else in the united states yeah, and it's sorry. just yes so something like that would it would be phenomenal mm -hmm. phenomenal in my opinion as a practicing physician <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. Like if there could just be like a full, if you could just get 500 people who are on a whole food plant-based diet or even better yet, have a before and after, that would be amazing if you can get them all to do it at once. But just do that, do it, follow them, or even just then follow them as a cohort for like 10 years. That would be super interesting. Yeah, super. Absolutely. And you could even do annual, you know, um, publications to mm -hmm. see how they're doing every year. Mm -hmm. And then honestly, I think what would be interesting to see, because I like the social contagion factor of this, is mm -hmm. to see how many of their family members then actually saw benefit, yep. um, because that 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 ex, you know explanation, you know, that when you start having those, okay, now my husband's doing it, now my daughter and her children, that would just be really interesting to see yeah. their improvements. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, I wish you could do, that would be a little bit harder to study for sure, but I would True. love to. Like you could maybe have a, a questionnaire of, of like my diet has improved the well-being of my mm -hmm. family. Yeah, like one mm -hmm. to five or something. That could be interesting. But I, even just just like the annual annual checkup for five five hundred people, making sure they're all vegan, like getting them to go vegan in the right way, like that can be hard for sure. You know, this is how I approach that. So. When I talk to someone who's, um, I'm trying to convince to do a plant-based diet literally in a few minutes because I only have a few minutes per visit, um, is I have to figure out one, what their pain point is. And then whatever that pain point is, I consider myself a salesman, a walking billboard. Yeah. <laughs> Let yeah. me say, you got you. <laughs> this is what you're going to do to get better. So it's honestly, if we could use, employ some of those tactics that they do in sales and marketing, I have an MBA, so I, I learned a little oh, bit about go. that. That's, a, so that's what you need right there. It worked really well. And um, I have quite a few people who, you know, were like, mm -mm, at first, but then the moment I, you know, we start talking and engaging in conversation, one, they know that how excited I get, because I get really, you know, excited. Yeah, right. And um, that I think is contagious. And they're like, wow, because doctor visits, you know, mostly are, here's another pill, get out of my office, see you in three months. Um, it's not about what can we do to make you thrive? What can I do to make you not have to come back and see me? Yeah, that's huge. Yep, huge. that's that's how I approach it. And that's what I tell them. And that's been really phenomenal approach. Because it you makes, yourself out of business. 
Yeah, that's why I tell them all the time is they put me out of business. Um, and it's just honestly, I approach it with love and that's how I do it. And um, I consider them all my children. <laughs> it's a very For sure. And that's approach. how it should be. Like if you're treating people, like if you're taking, you know, from, from an ethical medical perspective, like you're trying to make people's lives better. You're like, when you're sitting on the, the knowledge and the ability to reverse diseases, like it's unethical to not let people mm -hmm. know at the very least. And that's why I always say there's actually a fourth leg to, to being a vegan. It's usually people are just like, oh, it's ethics, environment, and health. And I said, or like animal ethics. So it's animal ethics, environment, health, and then human ethics of the idea that you can, un you can release or reverse these diseases that are yeah. literally killing people right in front of yeah. you or making their life horrible, disabling them, all these things that it's just unethical to not, not share. You know, um, because many of us who go to medical school, like my daughter's in med medical school now, she's a second year. Um, when the reason they want, I want to be a doctor, she wants to be a doctor and my colleagues is because we really want to help people. And it's not just help people by giving you drugs and, you know, making your numbers look better, but helping people in the sense that they live, right? Sure. So that that is how I've approached it. And um, it's been led me down a great, I mean, and, and really cool path. I am curious though, then how do you deal with, um, sorry, okay. I, I muted it, but it still vibrates. Um, how, cause I, I don't use the word vegan very often. I, you know, when I first went plant-based, it was because of a patient and it was incredible experience, but you grow into the animal ethics and you begin to understand. Oh, for sure. Um, but how do you, um, approach it because I know you mentioned the word more of a vegan versus plant-based mm -hmm. and you've mentioned that before so why is that and how do you use it because when I say the word vegan people immediately like oh for sure you I always say know your audience like my mm -hmm. I made the conscious decision to put vegan in my name just to try and normalize veganism mm -hmm. a little bit and make it a little less because you know if I was starting a journal that I had to name vegan or plant-based medical journal I wouldn't name it plant-based or for example, if I was selling a product, I might make it plant-based. I'm not sure, it depends. Mm. Who you're talking, like I said, it's who you're talking to. If you're talking to somebody who you know is immediately gonna get triggered and have a backfire effect from saying the, the word vegan, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer to use the term plant-based. And then, especially when you're working from a health angle, and that's where people are said like, oh, if you're using, using the term plant-based and you're not a real vegan. And I totally disagree with that. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're a vegan trying to save as many animals as possible, you don't care how the animals are saved. <laughs> and and right. you have to use the term plant-based to get people through the door. Like, you know, they, you have, they might have sort of like a barrier to entry in terms of their psychological, I don't know, biases or preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. And so if they're never going to go straight vegan to be vegan, then you have to get them on a plant-based diet. And so that's one way of looking at it. And then, and then, uh, I don't know, it's not really not that big of a deal. And, and like I said, once, like you just said, really, you go plant-based and then you take the meat goggles off, you're no longer part of the system and you can look at it objectively. And then you care about it. You realize you always cared about animals and we're just completely ignoring what was happening and thinking it had to happen and all this, all these excuses. I love that meat goggles. Meat goggles. <laughs> you know, I, and what was funny though, is I've really learned probably in a matter of talking less than 90 seconds, how to get someone off dairy. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because the moment I say, no, imagine I'm an adult human, I'm going to go drink my glass of breast milk from a human breast milk. And they're like, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's <laughs> and it's, it's like goggles. It's like that immediate effect. Right. And I love that, that, that kind of analogy. Yeah, Very cool. <laughs> but, exactly so how do you how do you defend it like if you do have someone who's approaching you from the animal ethic um uh, approach so like animals don't do this or do that how do you how do you say well actually yes animals do have you know there's an ethical component to protecting animals and how, how do you word like it like somebody's just coming from the health aspect um yeah or someone's just like hey you're mike the vegan yeah well okay. i'm i'm a you know you know gun toting mm -hmm. um go and you know eat my meat and burgers and that i'm here just like a like a joe rogan right so he's like i you know i can tear apart the animal i don't even listen to his podcast i'll listen to it because <laughs> joe khan is a friend 
I'm going to listen to that one. Yeah, but otherwise, it just annoys me. Right? He's just yeah, like, you just. Uh, all the stuff on his, di- his stuff on diet, it gets pretty bad. <sighs> I mean, that's why I just always have the best information. That's where it becomes a debate, and they have already decided you're on the other side. But if you mm. give the most persuasive information, like they're trying to say that vegans get protein deficiencies, and you pull out the studies showing that they have higher free blood protein than omnivores, like they just can't, they can't say no you're a vegan, so that's not real. No, that's a peer, in a peer-reviewed journal. That's why I have peer-reviewed <laughs> research under every single thing. So. so do you go back to the health aspect or do you, how do you, how do you defend or oh, how do you about, describe you about animal health? Yeah, because I'm curious because uh, sometimes that's a conversation, a piece of the conversation, and I'm just curious how you word it because I'm always trying to learn. For sure. I actually try to use the data whenever I can in that aspect as well. The mm. issue is people always convince themselves that they don't support factory farming and they don't like the idea of factory farming when they actually do pay a lot of money for it. And so usually I'll try and just ask them how often they eat at restaurants and if they always know. And so they just, just letting them know in a, in a not super attacking way that they're eating against their own ethics. And then I will go to some statistics, like if they're talking about how dairy cows are actually totally, you know, it's an ethical thing to do. I might talk about that USDA paper that, found that 97% of calves are removed from their mothers in the first 24 hours. So 97%, that's virtually all. And that's supposed to be more ethical. And that's a USDA paper from the government. And so you can't argue with that. And that's just the nature of the industry is that cows need to be, and a lot of people just don't even know these things. Like the nature of industry is that cows need to be continually impregnated to, to produce milk. And that means they have babies and then the male babies have nothing to do with. And then it's the veal industry. And just things like that, that mm. people just don't know, or they tried really hard to not think about and so if you really put it, put it to their attention, then they can't deny it. So. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's, um, there was a, where was I? I was on a Facebook group. I think it was, I belong to a vegan physician mom group mm-hmm. and there's a veggie mom. I'll have, you know, there's like 2000 members in those two oh, groups wow. and which is really cool. Right. I didn't even know they existed until like two yeah. weeks. <laughs> like gonna yeah. be like vegan ski ballers in South Africa, <laughs> like five thousand right. members. Yeah, yeah, these are like physicians who happen to be female who happen to be a mom. So, um, one of them actually posted that apparently there was a, a principal of a school. I don't recall exactly where it was. It was in this country, mm-hmm. <laughs> the United States, and um, they actually had a teacher. They said it was like the whole school, and they were in this presentation, and they. We're talking about animals and how cool they were and all these little kids are so excited. It was like an elementary school age and they were feeding animals and how awesome yeah. it was and they loved animals. And then they just showed some, not graphic clips, but some clips of animal agriculture. And the, the, apparently the, the teacher um, was being very factual saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is this. And suddenly, you know, everybody toned down and she started probing and asking questions. And this what is they, this is a, Yes, at a regular school. Yeah. Okay, because the principal's vegan, newly mm-hmm. vegan, oh, and it encouraged this. Wow. So apparently when they went to lunch and they measured how much they normally ate, like this the different meats and stuff that were offered in this cafeteria, it dropped like seventy-five percent. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame it. Yeah. Kids it they, we've done everything amazing. we can to separate what's on the plate from where it comes from. And so that would be a good study too. What happens when you take children and actually show them the facts of where their food's coming from? Kids, kids absorb everything. Yeah. And what happens in their dietary pattern? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That would not be an easy study to do in terms of parental <laughs> consent. But uh, <laughs> but it would be fascinating. Or you could even do it on a college campus. Yeah, for sure. On a college yeah. campus, yeah. For sure. Just letting people know. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, this is amazing. I do have one question I always ask all the guests is Mm -hmm. what one bit of advice would you give to someone who's considering switching themselves to either vegan or whole food plant-based diet? Like what is like maybe one obstacle that you've overcome or seen people do or one bit of a scientific evidence or anything that you like? Mm, I would just say right off the bat, replace the dense you you have to think about how you're taking out dense animal products and you have to you have to think a little bit about calories like as much as people hate doing that and how dangerous it can be for like eating disorders it's mm-hmm. just if you're when you're removing your your four most dense sources of calories which is why they're hard for people to remove i mean no one's no one's trying no one can't get rid of like bone broth or something because that has like no calories in it but when you're looking at cheeses which are super high fat you're looking at high fat meats you're looking at all of those things 
you have to think about how many calories you're taking out and then replace them. Otherwise you'll be hungry and you'll slip off the wagon. And so mm. if it means going on chronometer.com, C-R-O-N-O meter, and just doing it's free, you know, tracking your calories for two days and just thinking, okay, that's how I reach my amount of the amount of calories that I need. Hmm. I also started a site called plantspace.org that has a calorie needs requirement calculator on it that you can oh, use. Wow. So say people can go and start on and see, okay, that's how much I need to eat. That's and, your website? Plantspace.org? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I just never talk about it because plantspace.org. Oh, plant space? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's it's just like that's the, the one the big thing that's why people fail they don't eat enough mm. and they go they start thinking about the joke is they go through the rolodex of high calorie foods and they go right to back to the cheeses it's usually cheese because that's the most calorie dense i believe and mm. or fried or fried meat meat that's like breaded fried food and mm. so that's what does it and so you gotta gotta be aware of that and you have to replace it you know whether it means eating more nuts and stuff in the beginning or like not like i like my kite hill cream cheese because it's mm-hmm. I like it more than cream cheese and it's actually it's quite delicious yeah it's really good and so that's one thing that if if it means like you going vegan or not like you got it you might have to eat some high fat foods in the beginning yeah sure. i think that's really good advice because i know um seven years ago when i transitioned my own diet and then i started employing this very quickly with patients i wasn't i didn't have anywhere to go learn there um there wasn't the plantation project which helps teach physicians and so I, w- I found McDougall's site, nutritionfacts.org. Um, and that was about it. And uh, so that's what I learned very quickly was people like, I'm just so tired and I'm hungry. But then then it dawned on me they were just eating fruits and vegetables. Yeah, yeah. They they're eating, eating up like, starchy. Them, like 1,200 calories. Yes. And yeah, it's great for people who are like morbidly obese, very overweight and need mm-hmm. to lose the weight. It's a good, it's a way for them to, you know, they'll get enough volume to feel maybe a little bit more full. Mm-hmm. But then they'll be eating like an 800 calorie deficit, which you can argue is healthy or, or not healthy for somebody who's obese to the point where it's threatening your life. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, but but then you can just reach a natural point where you're eating the about, amount of calories that your body is designed to eat because you're eating the fiber and the propionate tells your body when to stop eating and, and things like that, which is the mm-hmm. fiber, you know, the result of the fiber. And so mm-hmm. I think it's good, but you still have to think about the calories. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point that people don't bring out is like you want to feel satiated and have mm-hmm. energy. I think that's very good. Cool. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us and everyone. I will put the links to his amazing website and YouTube and everything else that's wonderful. And I can't wait. I'm pretty sure I have some interesting things that you might be wanting to work out with the journal. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'd be glad but, to. Thanks so much for having me. And you. I will give you the link to the calorie needs calculator so you can share it as well. And awesome. plantspace.org is just not, I just have it up there. It's not, there's don't make money off it or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you do make money, it's a, it's a resource. You should be paid for the resources that you make available to the world. Everyone else. (laughs) So that's how I see it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Thankfully, uh, everyone supports me very well. So absolutely. That is very cool. All right. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.